But this passage, I think, is an incredible passage of scripture. There is so much in here that encompasses both the Old Testament and the New. It goes all the way from Genesis through to Revelation. That's my mindset anyway. I did a first bit of gardening in my new garden yesterday. Only an hour, because an hour was more than enough. But in order to do the gardening, I needed some tools. So I needed some secateurs. And when you've moved house, it's quite often not trying to find things that you need. Not so easy, is it? You know that you put them somewhere. Anyway, I found them. And what I have done is I bought some fruit trees, little miniature fruit trees, okay, and they needed planting. And uh, I read the instructions, I planted them as required. But in order to get to that stage, there was some preparation to do. Because if the preparation wasn't good, then the fruit trees won't do anything. And in life, when we come at scripture, there are tools we can use to get more out of scripture. Or there are tools that we can choose not to use and just use the text. Now, my library at home, which is the bane of our lives really, but it's a good resource, is about a thousand books. And those books, you think, sometimes it would be better if I just Googled the things I need and read the things on there, and then you haven't got to store a book. But I'm pretty old-fashioned in the sense I like to pick up a book. And commentaries and Bible dictionaries and atlases, they are better, I feel, on paper. So... You have tools to use. And when we were at Bible college, we would have to list a bibliography of all the books that we'd used to write this 1,500-word paper. I'm not going to list the books that I read in order to prepare today's sermon, but trust me, I've read a few. But then I come back to the scripture And that is the base where we should begin. Because if we begin with the books and the learned people that have studied this text, then we get their stance on it before we understand it a little bit for ourselves. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack this a bit like I had to unpack the fruit trees yesterday. I had to soak them in water. I had to prepare them before they got planted in soil. We're going to prepare our hearts by unpacking this text. And hopefully, you'll receive something from it. So Paul writes these words. Now this um, passage is entitled, Made Alive in Christ. And he says this, As you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now that speaks directly to us because we were just like that. Whether you were born into a Christian family 
or you were born into an atheist family. My parents wouldn't darken the door of a church. Okay? So when we were born, they waited till they had all the children that they thought they would have, and then we all went to the Methodist church to get christened, baptised, dedicated, whatever. Because my dad thought it was boring and he only wanted to go once. You see, they were dead in their transgressions, but there was no hope of them ever changing their ways. But we, because we've had the light of the Holy Spirit come into our lives, we've had the chance to change. But we were all like that once, and we could easily go back to that. Because sometimes the Christian life can be a challenge, can't it? It would be much easier to be like the majority. Now, you wouldn't go to a football match and sit in the away stand in the home kit. It would be the wrong thing to do, wouldn't it? But sometimes it's a bit like that in life for Christians. We are one amongst many and we stand out because we're wearing different kit. My extended family is about 90 people. I'm probably the only Christian in that extended family. Right? So it's difficult sometimes to be a good example to them because they've already closed their minds to what I believe in. My dad always said to me that when I went to Bible college, he said, you're absolutely wasting your time. What are you going to do with that degree? And um, I said to him later in life, I said, but dad, I got every job off the back of that degree. It wasn't a church job at that time, but it was a job. Um, But because he'd closed his mind to the thought of any belief in this God that I believed in. And verse 2, it says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Do you know, when we believe in God as we do, the devil will do everything to attack what we're doing. I said on the way, there was an um, exhaust pipe in the central lane of the M1. Not the best place for an exhaust pipe to be laying. But because people don't look ahead when they're driving, they just swerve, and they don't think about what's nearby. But you see, the devil will try everything the technology going wrong. Any little thing just to irritate and think, well, why are you bothering doing this stuff? We could all pack up and go home, couldn't we? But you see, we're here for a purpose and for a reason. And the devil doesn't like that because we're on the winning side. We have the victory. And he doesn't. He's given power by God to still be in existence. 
but he isn't given authority unless we allow him to have it. So if we believe in God, then he has the authority over our lives. And that's the banner that rests over us. All of us lived among them at one time. Well, we all live among them now, don't we? I'm sure that your house that you live in is not surrounded by God-fearing people. I'm sure those cars that race up and down sounding like they're going to explode are not God-fearing people. We get a lot of those in Hemel Hempstead. Boy racers, we used to call them in my day. Trying to show their wealth by the things that they own. People's desires and understandings of what's good and perfect. I drove past an Audi on the way here, not the car owner, the supermarket. We have three Audi supermarkets in Hemel Hempstead. Like you only need one really, but it is more packed than a church on a Sunday morning. They are queuing up to get in there. But how many churches have people queuing at the door? See, Audi has something to offer. And the church sometimes doesn't attract people in because the world sees it. It doesn't have anything to offer. So we need to change that by showing the world that this is where salvation is to be found. I trust this is making sense to some. <clears throat> All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following the desires and the thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. When Sarah and I um, got together at college, we fell in love really quickly. And within six weeks, we were engaged to be married. And uh, I had this discussion with her. Now, we we're both at Bible college, so it's obvious that we're going to go off and do something related to that. And uh, I said, my calling is to be a pastor of a church. Is that something that you could support? Now, if her answer had been no at the stage of that early onset, then it would have never, it would have never worked. But thankfully... She said, yes, that's fine, I can cope with that. So that was all good. So part of our calling was exploring churches to go and work at. And we went to a church in the depths of Cambridge in a place called Tidcote. If you've ever heard of it, probably not. Near Wisbeach. You've probably heard of Wisbeach. No? March? Heard of March? No, anyway. So, there was this little chapel in the middle of this village in Tidcote. And we arrived, and when you go for a, a, a pastor's job, it's not like going to Tesco's and applying for a job to fill the shelves. You go and you do what they call preach with a view to the pastoral. And uh, we arrived in this place in the middle of nowhere, and um, we were shown the church because we arrived the day before and we were shown the manse 
and the manse was right next door to the church. A bit like here, really. Right next door, okay, so there was no getting away. You were there. And we walked in this manse, and there was a big hole in the window. Okay, the, the manse had been broken into. Nothing had been taken, but somebody had left a mobility scooter in the grounds or something. So that got taken. But anyway, and I said to the guy that was showing us around, when are you going to get the window fixed? So he said, we'll get the window fixed when we've appointed a pastor. Well, that could have been months and months and months. And this was January. It was cold. And we went back. Well, we preached with a view. And uh, they invited me to go back. So you get invited back a second time, you think this is going somewhere. You know, They must have liked what they saw before. So we go back a second time. The window is still exactly in the same position four weeks later. And we're in the middle of winter. Okay? And the heating's blasting out and all the rest of it. Anyway, the long and the short of it is that church called me to be their pastor. But they put conditions on this role that were just not doable. And um, although the, there would have been a lot of good come out of that appointment, it wasn't right. But the reason I'm telling you that story is when I was at this interview, there's a pub in the village, one pub in the village, nothing else, that's it. And I said, I would, as part of my role, go to that pub. Now, I don't know what you all think about going to pubs whether it's this, the work of the devil, I don't know. But I'm of the mindset that you go where the people are. And unless you're willing to go where the people are, the people won't come where you are. But what this church used to do, they used to buy these most grotesque calendars with like verses like turn or burn verses on, you know, just to cheer you up. And deliver them round the neighbourhood and say, you're warmly invited to our church, you see. Well, as a non-Christian, if I receive something like that, I'm never going there. But if somebody came in the pub and had a pint of beer and said, I'm the pastor of the church down the road, they might come, you see. So sometimes you've got to be willing to go where the people are. Might not be comfortable, but you have to be willing. That's just an aside, but it just came to me. Okay, so, and verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, there's no short, shortness in God's mercy, it's rich, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. It's by grace that you have been saved. Not through anything we've done, but because of what he's done. And it's his grace that has set us free. Now, it doesn't mean to say that when you become a Christian, sins and transition, transgressions and temptations all run away and hide somewhere. And they never darken your door again. But because if you live in the world in which we live in, you're confronted with those things on a daily basis. And it's only by the grace of God that you resist those things. And it's only by his grace that we can ask for forgiveness if we do 
slip up and fail and seek the cleansing blood of Jesus over those things. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And that's where our destiny is. But you see, we are Christians on earth. We're not in heaven yet. So we're in this place to do heavenly good. So that when we get to heaven proper, we get the commendation to say, well done, you good and faithful servant. You did well whilst you were on earth. The problem with some Christians, they think, well, my salvation is sorted. I need not do anything else. All I've got to do is make sure that I'm okay. But there's a whole world out there that need to know of the love of God. So there's a harvest to be had. And in verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. So everything that we have comes from God. We have to have the faith to believe, but the faith that we have is a gift of God too. It's not anything that we have done. And verse 9 says, Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now this is where the Amplified expands upon that verse, or the whole text actually. But I'll just read verse 10 from here. And you get a a good picture. It says here, For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew. Because we weren't like this to start with. That we may not that we may do those good works which God predestined. Now there's a contentious issue in churches. Did God predestine everything that happened in our lives to be so? Well, if you believe in God and he created the world, then everything that's happened to you has been for a purpose and for a reason. And anything that will happen in the future is for a purpose and a reason. And he planned it that way. So it is predestined. And people get really hung up on that. How can God know everything that's going to happen? Well, he created us in his image. So he knows the plans he has for us, etc. Planned beforehand 
taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he pre-arranged and made ready for us to live. And I think it's important to take that verse to heart, that when things are tough, you know, family life for us sometimes is quite a challenge. And we need to remember that it's God that is in charge. Although it's tough going through the things that you go through, you know that it's for a reason. God has planned it that way. Now you think, well, why would a loving God allow those things to happen? Because he wants us to become stronger in our faith and our trust of him so that we rely on him more and on ourselves less. For we are his workmanship. I don't know how artistic you are. I'm useless. Couldn't draw a stick man to look like anything. Well, I could. But God is the greatest artist. Because if you look in a mirror, I hate looking in mirrors, but if you look in a mirror, you have to when you shave, otherwise it's dangerous. Right? But if you look in the mirror and you look back at yourself and you think, my, God has created me. That would be better to say that than, cool, haven't I gone grey? Or haven't I got less hair today than I had yesterday? Or whatever. Remember that God created us in his image. So we're perfect in every way. And remember that he's prepared us to do a work for him. And that's important, isn't it? There's no unemployment in the kingdom of God. There's always something to do. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we thank you, Father, that it's an encouragement that we've come on a journey to this place. And it was planned that we should be here today. And it was planned that we should come under these words. And we pray that these words would touch our hearts, change our lives, and affect the way that we act. Pray that you would, by your spirit, fill us with boldness to step out for you and be a good example to those that we come across on a daily basis. We thank you that we are your workmanship and we were created perfectly and there wasn't any mistakes in what you put together, Lord. So help us rest in that and trust you for what the future may hold. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing our final hymn.